When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Joel. I'm the international student worker here at Grace Church. So most of you would be aware that we are going through a series called the 3D Gospel, focusing on how to, uh, how to present the gospel message through different cultural, and, uh, different cultural lenses and worldviews. Just to recap, there are three major worldviews, and depending on the culture you're from, one of those worldviews may predominate how, you, how we view things in life and including the gospel message. So today, we are wrapping up this series by looking at another paradigm, uh, which is embedded across most non-Western cultures, especially among the shame and honor worldview. It is known as the clean and the unclean paradigm. I put the slide, you can look there. And in, in his best-selling book, The Year of Living Biblically, Secular Jew, A.J. Jacobs, strictly followed biblical laws literally for a year. He went about eating certain kind of food, strictly followed the day of rest or Sabbath day, and all of the rituals that he could possibly think of. In one entry, he explained his attempt to avoid the ritual impurity associated with discharges while his wife is menstruating. Unamused, she makes it a point to sit in every single chair in the house before he returns home. Ultimately, he opts for a portable handy seat because really, who can be sure who might have just sat in any train subway seat or restaurant chair? We might find it partly funny because it might be totally absurd, especially as seen through a modern Western lens, which unwittingly informs our interpretation of the scripture. It is easy to overlook or disregard that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, issues of ritual purity matter. Both Muslims 
and unorthodox Jews who follow part or entire books of the Old Testament take these ceremonial laws related to clean and unclean seriously? Why does kosher or halal food matter? Because they are clean and pure by ceremonial laws. In fact, purity practices and ritual cleansing plays a big part across the major religions. Yes. Um, so in Buddhism, purity of personality and character is emphasized. In Hinduism, you have the purity of the physical body. That's why you see millions flocking to the Ganges River in India. And in Islam, there is the theme of cleanliness, and it's considered as one of the five central pillars of Islam. And as um, I mentioned earlier, purity purity practices was also central among the Jews. And as we look at our passage today, I'll try to show you that the theme of purity and cleanliness, the clean and un unclean paradigm, is just not relevant to other religions, but it's also very important for the followers of Christ. You know, two, two weeks ago, we looked at Mark 5, 1 to 20. We saw how Jesus conquered over the demonic forces and demonstrated transformative power over the de demon-possessed man in a pagan region. This week, we'll continue to look at Mark 5, and we'll follow Jesus' journey. In our passage, Jesus has returned back to the Jewish region. Now, there is a large Jewish crowd that has come to see him. One, of, one among them is a very important figure in the Jewish religious circles, his name is mentioned as Jairus. He comes to plead uh, with Jesus for his 12-year-old daughter who is on the verge of death. And any parent could sympathize with this uh, religious leader, isn't it? A honorable man in the Jewish society, yet he is um, willing to do shameful things, falling on someone else's leg, pleading and begging, because he is desperate to see a healing for his daughter. His faith and understanding was, as long as Jesus puts his hand on his daughter, her daughter will be healed. So Jesus acknowledges his faith, and Jesus, his followers, Jairus, everyone walked towards Jairus' home. The large crowd that followed Jesus also start following Jesus and the follower disciples. You know, uh, it was an emergency. In modern, in modern days, they might have taken an ambulance and have gone quickly. But in the first century, they're all walking very fast towards Jairus' house. The Mark, the writer of the book, then focuses attention on one woman among the crowd. Interestingly, the writer doesn't name the woman. However, for the writer to truly convey who Jesus is, she surely is someone very important and should be given attention to. Like... Like, Jesus, like Jairus, she also came looking for a healing from Jesus. It was for her own personal healing. In our story today, I would like to consider the story based on two points. The first point is the trauma of the bleeding woman. So what did this woman need? The Bible describes in verse 25 that she had been bleeding 
not just for one week, not just for one month, for 12 long years. Just think about a small cut that you have had before. Even having it bleed for a few minutes is bad enough. Just think about this woman, 12 continuous years of bleeding. When Jairus' daughter was born, this woman started bleeding. Now Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. This woman has sought many doctors and have tried so many different medical treatments, yet nothing worked. Imagine the trauma that this woman had to go through, the inconvenience, the pain, the suffering, the disappointments of going from doctor to doctor who could not help. It is important for us to put ourselves in the shoe of this bleeding woman you know, living in the first century Israel. What does it mean to be her? To help us understand, let us look at the what the Bible says about a bleeding woman in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15 and verse 19 to 20. There it says, When a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of a monthly period will last for seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. And anything she lies on during her period will be unclean and anything she sits on will be unclean. This is life-changing, isn't it? In the worst possible way. She already uh, is bleeding, and she's unpure, but anyone who comes in contact with her will be unpure. Wherever she sits, if someone else gets to sit, they, they will also get, uh, the others will get in, in, um, uh, impure. So basically, she has to live like an outcast, an isolated life, cut off from a family, cut off from a community, and obviously forbidden from going into Jewish temples of worship. All of us would have had a brief glimpse of what it means to live in isolation during our COVID lockdown. It should have been really difficult for us um, being isolated from others, even being isolated from our own family members, maybe for a few days, Maybe for some people it's for months. But this woman had lived in this pain, isolation and loneliness for 12 long years. It must, it must have been really traumatizing. If you're like me, the next question that comes to mind might be, this poor woman is already traumatized by her bleeding condition. Considering Jews are a very communal culture, I would expect her to receive more support than ever from her family and community. But what happens in the Old Testament is that it seems to suggest that should not happen. And this is where we need to understand that from a Jewish perspective. For the Jews, everything in life was categorized based on the ultimate standard of God's holiness. Because God desired relationship, he provided specific instructions on how to prepare for and engage with him in worship and daily life. So two American Old Testament professors, Andrew Hill and John Walton, came up with this cycle of sanctification that you see in the slide. Uh, it's, it's there in their book called The Survey of the Old Testament. They say that on the basis of Levitical law, 
Jews viewed everything in life, humans, animals, and non-living thing, either holy or common. The common things were subdivided into clean and unclean. Clean things might become holy through blood sacrifices in the temple. Holy things can be profaned and become common or even unclean. Unclean things could be cleansed and then be made holy. So this applies for Jews' relationship with God as well. So, so you can see those Jews who have been unclean, either through, it could be either men or women through their bodily discharges. It could be because they have eaten some unclean food, because they have diseases like leprosy, or because they have touched someone who has disease or touched uh, places that have been unclean. So those people have already been unclean, so they have to go through the cycle of becoming clean and then be holy and then going into the, uh, into the Jewish temple. But the opposite spectrum is also possible. Someone like a priest who is considered to be holy, uh, when he comes in contact with unclean things, he could be polluted. And then he becomes, he has to go through, he becomes unclean, and then he has to go through the whole cycle again. This is the, this is the cycle of the clean and unclean culture. As mentioned earlier, this whole spectrum of clean and uncleanness is not unique to the Jewish culture, but it's also embraced by some of the other religions as seen in the previous slide. All religions emphasize on the need to be clean, but that's where all the similarities between the different religions end. As followers of Christ, Something is different. For us, we can enter and remain in fellowship with God, not because of our own actions, but because of Jesus' sacrificial death that we sang about, which once for all sanctifies us, even in our hearts and our consciences, that we can always enter into the Holy of Holies. This is the transformative touch of Jesus that he offers for those who reach out to Jesus. And that's what we'll look at at the next point, the transformative touch of Jesus. So when I was in Leeds, I still was doing international student work. Once I was in an international cafe, and I started a chat with an international student. I asked him, how was your week been? He said, it was quite good. And he said, uh, last Friday I went to a mosque with one of my friends, and he said, my friend asked me to wash my hands and legs, and I asked why. He said, it's a good practice because we will be clean when we go before God. It's important that we are clean. And this international said, um, I also feel quite unclean on my inside because I, I think I have done a lot of things against my, my parents which I can never forgive myself with. At that time, I thought, maybe is there something which could clean my inside? I never felt like I need to go into the mosque because I still felt unclean after washing my hands and legs. We can feel unclean in so many different ways. How do we find a solution? And here the bleeding woman comes to Jesus in the story. We, because we looked at the Jewish culture and the way of how you get clean from being unclean, we understand a little bit of why she was treated the way she was treated. 
and there was no hope for this woman for 12 long years to be cleansed and sanctified from her bleeding condition. Then she hears about Jesus. We don't know what she heard or how much she knew about him. Maybe she heard that Jesus was willing to touch and heal a leper, which we see in Mark chapter 1. A leper is also an unclean person by Jewish ceremonial law, laws, and he can't enter a temple. Probably this woman identified with this leper. A leper then is touched by Jesus and he gets cleaned. And this might have resonated with this bleeding woman and would have given her hope. She asked, probably in her mind, maybe if, she thought in her mind, maybe if I touch Jesus, I would have, I would be cleansed and healed. She, what she did then was to act on what she had heard about Jesus. And then when you look at verse 27 and 28, it tells us that when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. We don't know what her thought process is. It could be based on a belief that once you touch a prophet or a holy man, you will be completely cleansed and healed. It could be based on her hope that Jesus had the power to heal just as what he did for the leper. And when she touched Jesus, in verse 29, it says, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Why did that happen? In verse 30 says, it's because power has gone out from Jesus. This woman reached out, and God has also reached out to her in Christ Jesus. It's a bit like the uh, Michelangelo's masterpiece in Vatican City in the Sistine Chapel ceiling. There you see the God is extending his finger to bring to life the first man he created with a spark of life. Here we see the bleeding woman touching Jesus and God is getting in touch and the power is being released Something the world and no medical experts could offer for 12 long years was offered in Christ Jesus that day to this woman. Finally, a solution for this bleeding woman. How would, he, how would she react? She was an unclean woman. She had made everyone in the crowd and Jesus unclean ceremonially. The last thing she wanted was to draw attention to herself. She probably just wanted to leave quietly unnoticed. That, however, did not happen. Jesus makes a big deal of it. He immediately stops and asks publicly, who touched my clothes? And remember, all this happened when he was on the way uh, to a life and death situation. It was a bit like an ambulance hurrying towards the hospital. And suddenly, the ambulance driver stops the ambulance just because he wants to help someone by the road. Jairus, on the one hand, should be very annoyed and impatient. His daughter is dying. And Jesus has stopped to look out for one another woman. And we also see that the disciples are so annoyed, wondering why Jesus is asking such a silly question. The crowd around Jesus is like the crowd at Christmas market. Everyone is trying to touch Jesus. Everyone is pushing and shouting, 
And suddenly Jesus asking the question, who touched me? And that, the disciples also feeling annoyed. It's important to understand that Jesus didn't ask this question because he wanted to know who touched him. He is God, of course he knows. Just like in the first book of the Bible, God says to the first man he created, Adam, where are you? This kind of question from God or Jesus does not mean God is oblivious to certain things. Jesus knows. But he wanted to see how the person who received the power was going to respond. And verse 32 says, Jesus keeps looking. We don't know for how long he kept looking. Maybe just a few seconds. Maybe a few minutes. Maybe half an hour. We don't know. Uh, depending on how quick a thinker the bleeding woman was, she would have come up to a decision because she has to think about her consequences of showing up before this Jewish crowd. She was an unclean woman. A typical response she would have expected from a Jewish, uh, Jewish religious leader would be of annoyance and frustration that the Jewish religious leader is made unclean and the whole crowd has become unclean. He would have shouted at her and asked her to go back to her isolation room. And verse 33 says, The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what has happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. What did she talk about? She talked about the transformation she found in Jesus. The fact that she was now freed from bondage of her condition. The fact that she was healed. And let's see how Jesus responded. Just like Jairus, this woman also falls at the feet of Jesus. Jairus was desperate for a healing. This woman is already healed. Probably she's falling at Jesus' feet out of worship and adoration. And then Jesus used some words that has been previously discussed in the book of Mark. One of those is, he says, daughter. It's the same, word, uh, same Greek word Jairus used for his own daughter. This bleeding woman is the only one, according to many Bible scholars, that Jesus addressed as a daughter. In the context of the first four chapters, this is very significant because... In the very first chapter of Mark, in the very first verse, the writer says that Jesus is the Son of God. He's God's own King. He has come to proclaim a kingdom. He has come to say, repent and come to me. I will, I will make you citizens in my kingdom. But what happens in the first three chapters is that the Jewish religious leaders are so angry that they not only rejected Jesus, but they have already started plotting to kill Jesus. And at the end of chapter 3, we see that Jesus' mother and brothers are very worried, and they are thinking we just need to take Jesus back home. Maybe he might get killed. And, and they come to Jesus. There's a big crowd gathered around Jesus listening to his uh, talks. And someone in the crowd say, look, Jesus, your brother and mother are standing outside. And Jesus then used this opportunity to teach who are the people who can be insiders in his kingdom. And Jesus says that 
those who are willing to listen and act on God's word are those who can be part of his kingdom. And now, uh, sorry, part of his kingdom and can be his family members because he is pointing the family members outside, his mothers and brothers. And he says, those who listen to his words and act on it will be his family members. And now, in this chapter, he's saying, he's calling this bleeding woman as a daughter, an insider within his kingdom. And why do you think Jesus acknowledged this bleeding woman as his daughter? Jesus highlights her faith. You can see that in verse 34, Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has healed you, of which healed you literally in Greek means saved you. In the, Bi in the Bible, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. After Jesus has met his mother and, and stepbrothers and talked about who are his real family members, then in chapter 4, he talks about the importance of listening to God's word and having faith in God's word. And in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, faith is, if you could read the verse 12, it, if you could uh, read it, it, what it says about faith is that faith is something which is a God's sovereign choice and his gift for us. So in some way, we need to be thankful when God, God graciously reveals his word and helps us to understand and believe in his words. On the other hand, Jesus also teaches in chapter 4, verse 24, that we need to be careful to hear and listen when Jesus speaks and act on it. So if you listen and act, Jesus says more of his words will be given to him. There, Jesus is saying that faith is a human responsibility. In other words, we need to listen to Jesus' teaching carefully and act on it. That's what this bleeding woman did, and Jesus acknowledges her faith. Jesus then went on to say, go in peace. Not quietly in the ears of the uh, bleeding woman, but he said it publicly for all to hear. The word for peace in Jewish culture was a, had a holistic meaning. Jesus was giving his blessings and saying, may you be whole, not only physically, but be emotionally and spiritually. This is significant. In the Old Testament of the Bible, only the temple priests can pronounce a person to be clean and acceptable again for temple worship. Here, Jesus has taken a high priestly role, someone who can pronounce this woman clean. He's doing it even in the presence of a Jewish synagogue leader, Jairus. We can see two miracles happening here. One, the bleeding woman was healed and cleansed instantaneously after 12 long years. Two, Jesus did not himself feel that he became unclean ceremonially, but he, he thought he should take on the high priestly role and give the blessing to the to this woman. And this is not a one-off instance. You can see that Jesus also did it to the leper in the, in the first chapter. Jesus healed uh, a man with unclean spirits earlier in this chapter, but also he went, goes on to touch a dead body later on, uh, Jairus' daughter. And all these places, Jesus was able to do that because he is that high priestly one. 
Jesus basically violated the traditional purity codes by transcending them. And that was unthinkable in the Jewish culture. Jesus has redefined what it meant to be common or holy, unclean or clean, insider or outsider, shameful or honorable. That is a mind-blowing truth, not only for the Pharisees, but also for us today as his followers. I've explained earlier the traditions of the Jewish culture relating to purity and ceremonial cleansing. This is a world of boundaries, regulations, and rituals for God's people, that the way how Jewish people understood it. Now let's go more in depth to see the redefining of these worldviews in the New Testament, which will also help us understand why Jesus had the authority to do what he did in this story. So, put, uh, so if you see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 onwards, there, the writer of the Hebrews talks about what kind of cleansing was happening in the Old Testament. There he says in verse 6 onwards, the priests regularly entered into the outer room of the temple to carry on their ministry, but only the high priests entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washing, external regulation applying until the time of the new order. So what the Hebrew author is saying is the Old Testament cleansing rituals were never able to cleanse the conscience of a believer. But what happened when Christ came in verse 11 to 14? But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater... He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls sprinkle on those who ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death? We read, we read clearly here that true sanctification comes from what Jesus has done. He offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross, shedding even his last drop of blood so that whose ah those whose hearts are tainted by sin can be washed clean by his sacrificial death. So how does it apply for us today? Now I would, I would like us to consider two different scenarios. First scenario, this bleeding woman's story is a powerful story to share with friends who are from Muslim or Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist culture. For someone who had tried to do good his or her own her own entire life to achieve that sanctification and be accepted by God. The fact that they can come as they are 
and still be accepted by God is powerful. All they need to do is to be like this bleeding woman. Come to Jesus in faith. Just a quick note that many women from the shame and honor culture would be able to relate with this bleeding woman. You know, we know, we know of a missionary from the Central Asia who once told us how many Muslim women in his village came to Christ after hearing this bleeding woman's story. The gospel message of how Jesus came to cover their shame and making them clean forever and acceptable by society was extremely transformative for a Muslim woman. The second scenario that I would like us to consider and reflect upon is for most of us in the Western world. So the unclean woman in this passage represents the whole of humanity. We all are unclean because of our sin. We are cut off from God's presence. Our situation gets bad to worse. Unless God intervenes, we all will not find a solution to our trauma till we reach the grave. Healing from sickness prolongs life, but we are never safe from the grips of sin and death. C.S. Lewis, during World War time, says like this, Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love are already sentenced to death even before the world war. That applies for the bleeding woman during Jesus' time. That applies to us who have been through the COVID pandemic. We all scramble to save ourselves from our earthly problems. But the creeping virus of sin continues to infect our hearts with greed, lust, and fear, and a, and, and a whole, lost, whole host of other strains. Against this disease, quarantine doesn't gonna help. It grows even when we are isolated, just as it's gonna grow even when we gather together, multiplying as it passes from person to person. We know, however, that we have hope through the transformation touch of Jesus. In the book of Leviticus, God gave ceremonial laws of clean and unclean. In one way, the ceremonial law was to point to, to the way our sin disqualifies us from approaching a holy God. In another way, the ceremonial law showed that sin must be dealt with and, God, and, and the purification rituals and blood sacrifices was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus, who was the one who shed his blood to cleanse us from our sins and death and give us eternal life. And that is the power of the gospel, that we are clean, we are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. We can come boldly before the Holy of Holy and talk to our Father God. We can not only enter into the Holy of Holies, but also we can importantly remain there in fellowship with God, in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, not only for now, but for eternity. Before I pray, I would like to just briefly summarize using the slide our journey over the last few weeks on how we, how we can package the gospel message 
in a way that is relevant to our friends and family members who are from another culture or from another worldview. It, it, it never fails to amaze me that how the gospel message is just not one-dimensional and prescriptive, but relevant and relatable to people from every culture and tribe and tongue. We started with talking about the transformative love of the Father that appeals to those who are from communal cultures, from a shame and honor perspective. Then we talked about the transformative power of Jesus over demonic forces that appeals to uh, people from a fear and power perspective. And today we looked at the transformative touch of Jesus that allows us to be sanctified and dwell in God's presence for eternity, uh, which we looked at through clean and unclean paradigm. As we conclude this series, uh, I leave with you this slide uh, on, with some of the references from Bible passages tailored for different worldviews. And may the Lord help us all to continue to be his faithful ambassadors in taking the gospel to people from every tongue, nation, and tribe.